before uh, JJ actually comes up to give us the word today, um, I believe out of the book of Judges or something along those, finishing Paul's message, uh, uh, I want to make a couple uh, just suggestions to you guys. Uh, it was kind of cool. Our president um, made today the National Day of Prayer. <laughs> actually, I don't know if you knew that or not, but supposedly in all the churches, it's the National Day of Prayer uh, that was kind of just set apart. And... Um, uh, specifically for the hurricane victims of, um, you know, Houston and Louisiana and uh, Texas, all of that over there. So here's what I want to suggest to you guys. We, we have prayed. We prayed last week for them. I hope you've been praying all week for them. But uh, here's what I want to suggest to you since it's National Day of Prayer. This is not the national prayer service right here. We're, we're here. I know we're going to hear from God in this. But what I'd like you to do is uh, how many of y'all like have a switch at home on your wall where when you flick it, the lights come on? Anybody have that switch? Okay. Uh, whenever you flick that switch today and your lights come on or you flick it and it comes off, I would like for you just to throw up a prayer for those people right now that don't have that. Um, it's pretty surreal to not be, to be in a situation like that. Do you understand that the, the rains finally stopped and the floodwaters are now starting to recede and that's why they're starting to find more and more bodies? And things like that. And so there's people right now. Man, do you guys remember how hot it was in the parking lot just a minute ago? Can you imagine going weeks on end without electricity? And even just the simple thing of flicking a light switch on and off. So would you do that today? Number one, whenever you flick that light switch on and flick it off, would you just throw up a prayer for somebody? And say, God, will you just show them, help them see life from your perspective? And that could simply be your prayer. And, and pray over God wants you to pray. But how many of y'all today are going to maybe turn a spigot on and, and that liquid comes out, clear liquid, water that you could drink and you can cook with? Um, if you've ever lived without that, you know that that's a, that's a pretty sur a surreal thing also. And so every time you turn water on today and turn water off, you take a shower, you take a bath, you turn a dishwasher, whatever it is having to do with water, Today, I, I want to encourage you to take that as an opportunity to throw up another prayer for those people. And you don't have to know who they are. Maybe you do. But, but really, again, our purpose here is to help each other see life from God's perspective. And I would start with that and say, God, just help somebody see life from your perspective in the midst of this storm. And, uh, and, and, and if God asks you to elaborate, then by all means elaborate. One last thing. How many of y'all have like a really cool like bowl at your house where every time you push a lever, fresh water, like the old water comes and fresh water comes up? You know, my dog, dude, she thinks it's only for her. That's her drinking bowl, but no, I'm just, but you know what I'm talking about? How many of y'all have a toilet that flushes? And, you know, if you don't have running water, your house is flooded and you're using chemical toilets or whatever you've got, or even if you just aren't flooded anymore, but you don't have running water, and you've got to lift a 40-pound, five-gallon bucket to dump that in the back of the bowl to get it to flush, man. Man, it's a lot harder than that. And, you know, all those things can wear on you and beat you down. And so, man, pray for people. Every time you flush the toilet today, every time you turn the water on, and every time you flick a switch, would you Commit to praying for them today, and you don't have to stop today, but today is a good day. And thank God for you being able to have that. And um, would you commit to praying? Who would, who would commit to praying for them today? Right on. So we're going to do that. JJ, you ready to share God's word with us? Yeah. All right. All right. Well, good morning. How are you guys doing? Um, so I'm JJ. I play guitar. Um, that's something that I love to do. It's a, something that my dad taught me to do one day. I was going to a soccer kind of practice doing uh, 
just club soccer in Oldsmar, Florida. And um, the fun part about that, growing up, whenever I was 13 years old, my dad started me having a job uh, working construction with his construction company. I was a grunt worker. Um, my nickname was Bulldog because I would do anything the guys told me to do. Um, and there was many times where we did the stupid stuff, uh, but I would have fun doing it, loading, uh, loading concrete into a wheelbarrow and pushing it up a couple planks to get it on top of one of those big old dumpsters. And so uh, we'd load a couple planks together and then we'd be like, all right, ready, set, go. And I'd just run up those planks as fast as I could and dump it. And every so often, you know, you'd miss the plank and you'd topple over to the side. But it was fun for a 13-year-old, 14-year-old, 15-year-old to do that. When I was 16, I came to my senses and I started working in a guitar shop in the air conditioning. So, uh, and I made a decision. My dad at least put me in that situation to, to figure out, okay, do you want to do this the rest of your life or not? And I was like, no, I'm good. I'm going to go on to something, something else. Uh, even though it was a lot of fun, uh, we'd take metal and throw it at the, uh, at the insulation in the walls, make it stick during the day. And then we'd, I'd clean up sheetrock the whole day, so I feel like I deserved it. Uh, we had one guy on a job site that he'd walk around, and for the last hour of the job site, it was his only job to go around, because he was the guy, kind of head guy on, on campus, you know, and he said, this is my job, no one else is allowed to do it, I don't want you to close one window on the job site the whole day, because the last hour of the day in an apartment job site, he just walked around and closed all the windows. And that was his job, because he was allowed to walk around inside of all the buildings, not have to do any real work and he just closed the windows. Uh, and so he made sure everyone knew, leave every window open uh, so that way they, you can have air during the day. Um, and then he would just walk around and waste the rest of the day doing it. So I've been on a job site, I've known what to do. I've been in the air conditioning, I've learned how to find joy in doing that. And so, um, so that kind of brings me to this, is that then all of a sudden one day I'm sitting there in youth group and I'm, I don't know, I'm, I'm probably like 16 years old, 17 years old. And I realized that not only did I like to play guitar, I like to teach guitar. Um, my dad had taught me how to play guitar, but the way he taught me was by saying, here's a guitar, um, and here's how you find the chords online. And uh, this is a really cool thing called YouTube that's just come out. It was out for a while, but my dad was playing catch up. Uh, here's this really cool thing called YouTube, and one day we're going to get to play together, so go learn an easy song. So I'd learn an easy song, we'd do it, uh, and then all of a sudden I'm playing in church with him, and uh, then all of a sudden I'm playing in the youth group band, then all of a sudden I'm trying to kind of trying to teach people, then all of a sudden I'm trying to teach people the Bible too, and then all of a sudden God's like, you see all this works together? I said, no. And he said, I, I want you to go do student ministry, and I said, okay, I'm going to go do student ministry. And then I get into student ministry, and what I realize in student ministry is a lot of students have parents that don't, aren't discipled. And then I realized that my parents weren't actually discipled while I was growing up as a student, which explains why I had a lot of the junk I had in my past. Because as much as they wanted to help me, they, they also were learning how to study the Bible, but not really getting fed the way they needed to in church. And so then in student ministry, I kind of saw that, that even though there were parents that loved their kids with all their heart, they didn't know how to translate it and say, I'm going to love you with all my heart by showing you what God's word says for my life, living it out in my life and showing you how to live it out in your life. And so then it kind of just became while I was in college is like, not only do I need to do student ministry, but I need to do some sort of pastoral work. And uh, then all of a sudden, one day God said, all right, JJ and Ashley, what do you think about church planning? Ashley hated the idea. I thought, man, that'd be fun. 
And then all of a sudden, God kind of brought the right person at the right time that spoke into our lives and said, this is what I want you to do. He said, God clearly said, this is what I want you to do. Ashley was good for it. I was good for it. And then it was like, well, when are we supposed to do it? Because God, in case you didn't realize, the church planner doesn't really make money. And you want us to go to the beach. And we brought that idea up. And we said, hey, we want to be church planners at the beach. And they said, ah. <laughs> Someone actually told us, oh, for why? And we're like, well, there's beach people that need to be reached. And they say, no, tourists don't want to hear about the Bible. That's a waste of time. And I said, no, 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 not tourists. I said, beach people. And they couldn't get that. They didn't understand what I was talking about. I said, people actually live at the beach. You don't understand, do you? And they said, what are you going to do? How are you going to reach them? What's your evangelism model going to be? And I didn't, I didn't know anything really at that point. I said, I don't know. We'll hand out bottles of water on the beach. And they said, then they'll get used to you handing out bottles of water, and you'll never get them in your church, and you'll waste money, and you guys will tank. And I was like, well, okay. I don't know what we're going to do. We're just going to go on the beach. I, it makes sense, right? Just stick some umbrellas in the beach and put some chairs, right? That should work. And they said, no, nah, that'll never work. You need to think of a real model. And then God said to, to Eddie, he said, hey, I want you to stick some umbrellas in the sand and some chairs in the sand. I want you to start a church. And then when he did it, I was like, oh, let's watch this, actually. Because if, 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 if this starts to work, then we got something good here. Um, so we stayed in the comfort of Graceville, Florida for a while. We were, well, I was a graphic designer up at the college that's in Graceville, Florida. It's called the Baptist College of Florida. Um, and I was a student minister. And I told God, I said, God, if you want me to go plant a church on the beach or be part of a church plant on the beach, and I was looking, watching as Eddie was doing everything, and I said, if you want us to go there, I'll go, but you, I, this is where I got in trouble. I was kind of like, uh, in the book of Judges, which we're going to look in, we're not going to look at Gideon, but I kind of did a Gideon moment. I said, God, if you will take away my church job, then I will go. And this is why, it was because I had students that I loved with all my heart, and that was what I loved about being at the church I was at, was the students. Because I watched their lives change through the discipleship that we were doing. We had students in our student praise band that were like, they were phenomenal, right? They could, they were just awesome. Um, and, and I watched as students were struggling, and I was there helping them, and Ashley was there helping them. And we were seeing little, little steps being taken that needed to be taken. It was like, God, I don't want to leave this, but I know that you want us to leave this. And I, and I was just like, God, you just got to take it away from me. And that was, that was really the bad thing to say to him. I should have just left. Um, but at the same time, God works everything out for his good and for his glory. And so it just so happened that when we left, it was perfect timing to leave. Uh, we got a place to live that we didn't know we were going to have. Um, when we got in a truck, I didn't have a job, but we were driving down anyways. July 1st, was, we kind of one day we were like, all right, July 1st. And actually it was like, yeah, that's good, July 1st. And then everyone was like, well, why July 1st? I said, I don't know, that's what God told me July 1st. And we started driving, and, and people before we drove, you got a job? No. You know where you're going to live? Well, yeah, we found that out a couple weeks ago. That's kind of cool. Um, and then they're like, how much money you got? Well, we got enough for about three months, but, you know, we'll figure it out when we get there. Didn't know that what we thought was three months and what actually is three months of living here is completely different. Um, so, you know, who would have thought? When we saw that first, we lived in a house about the size, an apartment about the size we live in now, except it wasn't two stories, uh, and we weren't, we weren't attached to FPL. Um, and so didn't know that electric bills were going to be what they were here. Uh, we were living in 80 degrees in our house, which isn't bad. I mean, that's pretty chill, right? We can handle that. Um, we live on the island, so our rent is higher, but it's not so high that we couldn't handle it. 
Uh, we live on the island for only one purpose, one reason. It's not necessarily because the beach is there. That's a cool plus. We live on the North Island of Fort Pierce because that's where God wants us to be so we can reach the North Island of Fort Pierce. And right now we have a small group meeting in Terry and Fernanda Sturgill's house, which it looks like they're down with the kids, so that's yeah. cool. Um, and we have a bunch of little groms. We have a bunch of little kids running around. In all reality, if, if you didn't know any better and you just came in, it looks like they're terrorizing me. Um, <laughs> but they're not, I promise. I handle middle school boys very well. I've, I've dealt with middle school, high school boys. I've watched the middle schoolers become the high schoolers, so I know how to have hope. Uh, I know that they have a future, and I know that if I stick long enough and I fight through it and I just deal with it, that they're going to become something awesome when they hit that, like, 15, 16-year-old age. Any time before then, it's just scary. But once they hit 15, 16, and they start wanting that responsibility, and I'm already giving it to them, uh, they, just, they just blossom and they blow up, and they're, they're just awesome. So I'm in that transitional period. Uh, pray for me because they're about, like, what, 12? Um, so I've got, I've got three years left until I see that just amazingness happen. Um, but, you know, they're awesome kids. And then the, the girls are always awesome. It doesn't matter what time you get the girls. The sad part about girls is that when they hit 15 or 16, they do a switch. And then all of a sudden, they act like the boys acted. And then you're kind of playing, wait, hold on. Wait, no, don't go there. Listen to me. And, and if you're in their life long enough, then they do. And uh, so that's going to be kind of cool to watch when that happens, too. So that's where we're at. That's what I do. Um, I love students, but I love the parents of students. I know that it's hard. Uh, I'm learning a little bit more every single day as my little uh, baby boy, who's almost two, becomes almost more and more two. And uh, watch him as he runs around. He has his own life. If you've seen him, he plays drums, and he's pretty good at it. Um, so, you know, we're just going to watch him as he grows up. But... But uh, that, that's me, that's who I am. And uh, that leads me into this part. There's a phone ringing. <laughs> it's okay, oops. That's all right, it's background music, so enjoy it. Um, so we're gonna go down. All right, so what we're gonna go into today is this, this idea, this simple concept. It's when you're faithful, it's easy to follow. And it's really hard to follow God sometimes. I don't know if you've been there, if you've experienced it. Um, when I was challenging God, saying, God, you've got to take away my student ministry job, uh, um, I was challenging him hard because there were a lot of parents that loved me. Um, there were a lot of students that loved me. Um, I constantly was talking to the student. Like, our main thing was, listen, if I'm gone, then this student ministry should continue because Jesus is in charge. If I'm gone, then the parents and those volunteering right now should be able to step up and lead you. If I'm gone, they shouldn't need to teach because you should be able to teach yourselves and lead Bible studies among you. And when we left, that's what happened. Students would get up and together they'd co-teach the group. And then the students that were leading worship would continue to lead worship. And they're still trying to find a student minister. So for me, hardest thing ever is to watch as those students will message me sometimes and be like, JJ, we kind of miss you. And I'm like, I know, I kind of miss you too. Um, but, but I challenged God, and I said, God, listen, I know what you told me to do, but I don't want to be the one to pull the plug here. You've got to do it. And God said, okay, one day, and he did it. And it was, it was pretty hard on Ashley and I. Um, and, it, and then it was hard on the people that were there. And uh, I hate that we, we made God pull the plug. We should just listen, because it probably would have gone a whole lot better. But um, we're going to look really quick. Acts 13, uh, verse 20, uh, just to kind of recap, Paul does a sermon 
and he stepped into a city. He's going to give a sermon to some Jews, and he's going to say, hey, guys, in case you didn't realize, everywhere in the Old Testament that you ever studied is pointing to Jesus. As Pastor Eddie says, everywhere you cut the Bible, it bleeds. He says, everywhere in the Old Testament points to Jesus. And in verse 20, it says, after that, after Joshua, after Joshua conquers and the people go throughout the land of Canaan and conquered, it says, after that, he gave them judges for about 450 years until Samuel the prophet. So I'm sure we're going to get into Samuel the prophet next week. But this week, we're looking at the fact that God actually had to give the people of Israel judges. And the simple fact is, is because they didn't know how to listen to God. And they weren't being faithful. And because they weren't being faithful, it was really hard to follow God's commands. And so when you're faithful, it's easy to follow. Now in Judges chapter 2, verse one, verses 1 through 5, I'm going to set the scene for what Israel got themselves into because they weren't being faithful. It says, The angel of the Lord came up from Gilgal to uh, Bohim. On this one, I'm just going to try to do Hebrew here. To Bohim. And said, I led you up from Egypt and brought you to the land of which I swore to your fathers. That's the land of Canaan. And I said, this is God saying, I said, I will never break my covenant with you. You shall make no covenant with the inhabitants of this land. You shall tear down their altars. Not only should you tear down your altars, you shall kill and destroy and wipe out everyone that is there. And the reason why is because the people that were in this land have been living there, had been there literally since the Israelites had been in Egypt. And you thought that Egypt was wicked. You thought that Egypt was bad and was terrorizing them. God knew just by watching them, just by trying to reach out to them through the past, that the land of Canaan was so wicked and so awful that if, if any person was left in the land of Canaan, they would be literally a terror to his people. Not just his people, they would end up being a terror to the entire world. The land of Israel, or the nation of Israel, was established through Abraham. And whenever it was established through Abraham, God said, through you I will bless every single nation that there is. Because of you, I will bring blessing upon every nation. Those who bless you, I will bless, and those who curse you, I will curse. And whenever the land, when the Israelites come into this land, they're going to be cursed by the Canaanites, and God is going to curse them in return. He's already known. It's, it's, it's an understanding that God has. And he says, you did not even tear down their altars, let alone wipe them out. You didn't even tear down their altars, which proves to me you're going to worship their gods. And here's what happens. Therefore, I also said, I will not drive them out. You're not going to tear down their altars. I'm not going to drive them out. But they shall be thorns in your side, and their gods shall be a snare to you. If you're not following him, if you're not faithful to God, it's hard to follow him. So it was when the angel of the Lord spoke these words to all the children of Israel that the people lifted up their voices and they wept. Why were they weeping? Were they weeping because they were repentant? No, they were weeping because... Now daddy had spanked them. All right. Now, now dad is saying, here's your punishment. And like any little good kid, they immediately turn on the waterworks and they say, no, daddy, don't do that. You tell a kid all day, clean up. I can't say this for Keone, but I know it's going to happen one day. Clean up your room. Clean up your room. Then you say, if you don't clean up your room, you won't. And then they start crying immediately. I've seen that while babysitting kids. Do this or you won't. And they start crying. <laughs> I said, if you don't do it, you won't. I haven't taken it away yet. I'm giving you an opportunity. God had given him plenty of opportunities, the nation of Israel. 
And now they're finally at their point. He's pronouncing the punishment. Then they called the name of the place there, Fokim, and that's to mean they wept. Literally, it's just they have no good words to name places. They say, okay, we wept here, so this is the place we wept, it's Fokim. And they sacrificed there to the Lord. Now their sacrifice, was their sacrifice out of repentance? Their weeping wasn't out of repentance. Their sacrifice isn't out of repentance. They're just doing what they know kind of to do. They're trying to say, okay, God, you told us that you want us to sacrifice. So here, here's a sacrifice. Well, here's the proof of why their sacrifice meant nothing. When you're faithful, it's easy to follow, but they weren't faithful. So we're going to go, we're going to look in Judges chapter 4. We're going to look at that chapter this morning. And uh, this is the proof that they weren't faithful. It says this, Now when Ehud was dead, the children of Israel did again, uh, did evil in sight of the Lord. So again, they did evil in the sight of the Lord. And that's just one of the agains. That's, this is a constant throughout the book of Judges. Someone comes in and saves a day because God gives them the power. They do evil. Someone comes in and saves a day. They do evil. Someone comes in and saves a day. They get a couple years of rest. They do evil. Well, with Ehud, they had 80 years, which is the longest amount of time that they had been given rest. While Ehud was a judge, they were given rest. Now, his story is fun, and I'm going to do it brief. He created for himself while he was, uh, he was going up against the, the king of Canaan, essentially. He, there was many kings throughout the land of Canaan, but the king he went up is most likely the king of all those kings. And so Ehud comes and God gives him this kind of this idea, create for yourself a dagger that's a cubit long, which cubit is essentially, there you go, so that's a pretty long dagger. Create for yourself a cubit long dagger um, and go and offer this great offering to this king of Canaan. And the king of Canaan was fat. All right, that's what it says. Bible just straight up calls him fat. He's fat. And uh, so you can imagine there's your dagger. He's fat. A huge comes in, gives this offering that the tribute of all the people of Israel have to give. This is the brief version. And then whenever he says, I have a tribute for you, O king, the king is saying, man, yeah, I'm going to accept this tribute. And I don't want anyone else to know the riches I'm getting. So servants, you get out of this room. Get out. Clear out. While this great tribute is given to me. And as soon as all the servants clear out of the room, Ehud takes a dagger that's a cubit long and sticks it into the king. And the dagger actually sinks into the king and his fat covers it up. So he can't even pull it out. That's a crazy story in Judges. Read it if you don't believe me. But it's right there earlier in Judges chapter 3. And you think, why would God give that as the, uh, the way to kill this king? Well, this king's super protective protected he's the king of the kings of canaan so to get to him is like impossible if you're going to come for war so the easiest way is to bring a tribute and you think well Hugh lied well the Hugh got to where he needed to go and god told him to get there so i'm not going to argue with it because the Hugh wound up where he needed to be and the point is is that Hugh was such a great judge after this that the people of israel experienced 80 years of peace 80 years of following god Ehud tore down altars that were serving the Baals and all the other gods that, that Israel was following. Ehud was a faithful judge. And yet still somehow, after 80 years, the people still turn back around and they say, No, but we're going to worship this God and this God and this. Don't you remember when Grandma used to talk about this God? Let's worship that God. And so, again, they do evil in the sight of the Lord. So the Lord does this. He sells them into the hand of Jabin, the king of Canaan. Again, another king. He reigned in Hazor. The commander of his army was Sisera. 
So if you want to set this up like an actor of play, you have Javen, who's the king. He's like the guy that calls the main shot. He says, Sisera, you're a great commander. You go attack. And then from this point, we don't really hear much of Javen. We hear a lot about Sisera. So he's the commander of his army, of Sisera, who dwelt in Harosheth Heguim. All right? <clears throat> the children of Israel cried out to the Lord for Javen had 900 chariots of iron. You imagine that if you're a foot soldier and you don't have any weapons, you're a foot soldier and the, the king that you're going to fight against has chariots and they have uh, horses that are rushing at you and they have iron and they have spears and they have everything you can imagine. That's just part of his army. That's the most impressive part of his army. Other than that, he has thousands of men that are foot soldiers that are going to fight. For 20 years, Jabin uh, harshly oppressed the children of Israel. So here comes Deborah on the scene. Now she's a prophetess. Okay, we don't hear much about the women in the Bible having these great lead roles, but this is one of the lead roles that's given to a woman. And Deborah is actually considered to be the mother of Israel at this time. And it's actually uh, in this time period, not necessarily now, but in this time period, for a woman to be in charge of any sort is kind of like a smack in the face of a nation. A woman actually has to be in charge of you. You must be weak. And so God said, you know what, I'm going to make a woman in charge of you because I want everyone around you to think, man, they must be weak. Because who's the real one that's going to show the power and the strength? It's always God. And Deborah was faithful. And when you're faithful, it's easy to follow. She was the wife of Lipidoth, who was, and she was judging Israel at that time. She would sit under the palm tree of Deborah between Ramah and Bethel in the mountains of Ephraim. And the children of Israel came up to her for judgment. Then she sent and called for Barak, the son of Abinoam of Kadesh and Naphtali, and said to him this, Has not the Lord God of Israel commanded, Go, deploy troops at Mount Tabor. Take with you 10,000 men of the sons of Naphtali and the sons of Zebulun. And against you I will deploy Sisera, the commander of Javan's army, with his chariots and his multitude at the river Kishon, and I will deliver him into your hand. So here's his response. God just spoke. And when you're faithful, it's easy to follow. But when you're not faithful, you say things like this. Barak said to her, if you will go with me, then I will go. But if you will not go with me, I will not go. Was he talking to God there? No. He's talking to Deborah. So at this point, all the people, anyone that's a commander of an army in any other nation is thinking, whoa, he just asked a woman to go with them. He's a wuss. You know, like, this guy's not a commander of armies. He's asking a woman to go with him. And Deborah's going to come at him and say, listen, that was the wrong thing to say. So she said, I will surely go with you, but nevertheless, there will be no glory for you in the journey you're taking. For the Lord will sell Sisera into the hand of a woman. Then Deborah arose and went with Barak to Kadesh. Who does it sound like? is going to get the glory here. Yes, God, but who's the woman that sounds like is going to get the glory here? Deborah, right? Remember that. Keep that in your head. Sounds like Deborah is going to get the glory. When we're faithful, it's easy to follow, but we don't always get the glory. But just remember, it sounds like Deborah's going to. Barak surely thought Deborah was going to. Let's see who gets glory in the future. Barak called Zebulun and Naphtali to Kadesh, and he went up with 10,000 men under his command, and Deborah went up with him. Now Heber the Kenite of the children of Habab, the father-in-law of Moses, had separated himself from the Kenites and pitched his tent near the terebinth tree at Za'anim, which is beside Kadesh. 
They reported to Sisera that Barak, the son of Abinom, had gone up to Mount Tabor. Now, it sounds like a relative is selling out the people of Israel. And that happened a lot in the people of Israel's life. But again, this is God's plan. He wants Sisera to come out. Deborah promised that Sisera was going to come out. And he's using whether or not this guy did this spitefully or not, he's giving a report. And he's saying, hey, Sisera, there's an army of Israel. They're coming. I'm just giving you a heads up. He was in good, he was in good uh, cahoots, I guess. I mean, he was, he was in a good standing with Sisera. So if he was just doing it to have Sisera keep, you know, have his back in the future, it was good with him. If he was doing it because God told him to, hey, he's good with that too. But it sounds like he's selling out the Israelites. But in reality, he's drawing out Sisera. So Sisera gathered together all his chariots, 900 chariots of iron, and all the people who were with him from Harasheth Hagoyim to the river uh, Kishon. Now, just so we're aware here, they're pulling out to an area that's dry as can be. Dry to the bone as can be. It's next to a river, but the time period they're going is just dry. Because why, if it's a rainy season or if it's a flooding season, why would we pull out chariots? Why would we pull out people? Why would we do battle there? We would never do that. And he's pulling out. He's going to this dry, desolate place. The people of Israel are surely sitting ducks at this moment. That's why Sisera is pulling out this huge army. He's super ready. He's set. He's pulling out all the chariots. He's going to wipe out this Israelite army. And surely after this, he's going to teach the Israelites a lesson. Deborah said to Barak, Up! For this is the day in which the Lord delivered Sisera into your hand. Has not the Lord gone out before you? So Barak went down to Mount Tabor with 10,000 men following him. The Lord routed Sisera and all his chariots and all his army with the edge of the sword before Barak. And Sisera alighted from his chariot and fled away on foot. Sounds strange. How could they possibly defeat them? This is a point where it's super important to remember that the Bible all weaves itself together. If something doesn't make 100% sense, we're going to have an answer, and we're going to get to that in the future. But remember this, they're running. Sisera even jumps off his chariot, he jumps off his horse, and he runs on foot. Because some, for some reason, that's faster. God did something crazy, alright? Apparently God did something crazy, because Sisera actually thinks he's faster on foot. So here he goes. Barak pursued the chariots and the army as far as Harasheth, Hagoyim, and all the army of Sisera fell by the edge of the sword. Not a man was left. However, Sisera fled away on foot to the tent of Jael, the wife of Heber the Kenite, for there was peace between Jabin the king of Hazor and the house of Heber the Kenite. Jael went out to meet Sisera and said, Turn aside, my lord, turn aside to me, do not fear. And when he had turned aside with her into the tent, she covered him with the blanket. Everyone go, aw. Yeah, we're being nice to Sisera, right? Okay, if you're Sisera at this point, you're flat on foot. You've not only gone into the tent of a woman, okay, which that's humiliating, right? Got to hide behind mommy, right? So I've gone into the tent of a woman, but now she's covered you with a blanket. You're going to go to sleep. Then he said to her, please give me a little water to drink, for I'm thirsty. She opened a jug of milk. Oh, dude. I mean, let's be honest. If mama brings you a glass of milk, that's good. So yeah, milk and cookies. That's right. And she gave him a drink and she covered him. So again, aw, right? Aw. Now we're going to say ew. I know. So he said to her, stand at the door of the tent. If any man comes and inquires of you and says, is there any man here? You shall say no. All right. 
So Jael, Heber's wife, took a tent peg. She took a hammer in her hand. She went softly to him, and she drove the peg into his temple, went down into the ground, for he was fast asleep and weary, and so he died. Which is good the Bible tells us that, right? That he died, because we were questioning it, right? <laughs> Just in case, you know, in case that didn't do the trick, yeah, he died, right? So, uh, but she knew where Hammer was, she knew where a tent peg was, because she was in charge of putting up the tent. So she had all the supplies ready. Okay, Sisera made the mistake of saying, essentially, I've been defeated. And so when she knew that he was defeated, it didn't take much for her to have faith, right? When she knew that Sisera was defeated, because she was giving him milk, she was covering with the blanket. Up to that point, I think that she actually was thinking she was doing him a favor. She might have wondered a little bit why he was running on foot and where his horse was. But up to this point, she thinks she's doing him a favor. She wants to stay in good stature with the king of Jabin. But then he opens his mouth, and he says, I'm running. I, gotta, I had to get out of there. He probably told her the whole story of how his army had been defeated. And at that moment, she had the faith she needed. Ashley and I didn't have the full faith we needed to leave Graceville until after God finally said, all right, there's your student ministry, now go. And it was like, all right, fine, you know, let's go. <laughs> July 1st, we're going. We put a tent peg in that, all right? <laughs> What have you ever put a tent peg in when God told you to do it? Boom, it's stuck. It's done. Done deal, God. You can't bring this guy back from the dead after that. He's got a tent peg in his temple, right? He's done. He's dead. Then as Rock pursued Sisera, Jael came out to meet him and said, This is the woman. Come, I will show you the man whom you seek. And when he went into her tent, there lay Sisera dead with the peg in his temple. So on that day, God subdued Jabin, the king of Canaan, and the presence of, ch of the children of Israel. And the hand of the children of Israel grew stronger and stronger against Jabin, the king of Canaan, until they had destroyed Jabin, the king of Canaan. So when you're faithful, it's easy to follow. So there's Jael, who is easy. She can follow because she's seen actual proof. And some of us, God gives actual proof. Gideon got actual proof. Ashley and I got actual proof. Okay, we were given proof to have faith in God. God gives that to us sometimes when we ask. But there's other times when we just need to follow him. And we just need to follow him into battle. And that's Deborah. Deborah follows him into battle. And when Deborah is told that, that the Sisera's army is going to be just given to her, she has faith. She calls Barak. Barak says, no, I don't know about that. i got to follow you at least. I, I could just follow God, but I need someone to guide me. And, and you're the person that needs to guide me. So God takes away any sort of honor that Barak is going to get at this point. And he says, all right, I'm going to give it to a woman. He gives it to Jael. He gives it to Deborah. But Deborah follows him, what we might consider blindly. He follows, she follows him into a place where there's a river, but it's dry outside. She follows him into a place where it's open and wide, and there's an army, and there's 900 chariots, and there's only 10,000 men of Israel. Where is everyone? How are we going to take them over? You can hear the army maybe asking the question, but they at least know they're supposed to follow Deborah. And Deborah's like, don't worry, guys. God's going to do something crazy. And then all of a sudden, at the right moment, Deborah says, hey, go. Hey, go. Who would run if Deborah said, hey, go? Yeah, right? Nobody. No, I'm not going to go. I'm safe here on this side of the river. I'm safe here on this hill. I'm not going to. Look at those chariots coming. But what if this happened? Judges chapter 5. This is Deborah's song. 
And Deborah and Barak, the son of Abinoam, sang a song the day of the victory, saying, When the leaders lead in Israel, when the people willingly offers themselves, when they have faith, bless the Lord. Hear, O kings, give ear, O princes. I, even I, will sing to the Lord. I will sing praise to the Lord, the God of Israel. Lord, when you went out from Seir, when you marched from the field of Edom, the earth trembled, the heavens poured, and the clouds also poured. What just happened? So a completely dry ground that had not seen rain for a while was right next to the bank of the river. All of a sudden it has tons of rain. What happens, what do we know from watching the news? What happens when we have tons of rain and super dry ground? Flooding, mud, okay, all of a sudden that river's gushing. Is a chariot worth anything at that point? Exactly, you have no chariot. Is all of the armor that you've been wearing, that you've been donned with by the great King Jabin, is that worth anything at that point? That just weighs you down and sinks you down in the mud more. If you're the Israelite army and you've got your lone little, uh, there's a, a, a guy who, who was able to take on a complete 600 men with just an ox goad. Talks about it in the book of Judges, which is just the simplest form of a spear that you can think of. You poke at an ox to get it to move. It's not going to necessarily impale it, but you poke it and you get it to go. So these are the type of weapons that the, the children of Israel had. Okay, they, were, they got nothing. Their light is a feather. You think it's easy to run on some mud? You think mud is anything at that point? You think swimming with their weapon is hard at that point? No. If you've got chariots that aren't working, you've got men that are fleeing, if they feel the earth tremble, wouldn't you begin to question? The God that they served was the God Baal. The God Baal was the God that brought the water. If they sacrificed the right children, if they gave the right sacrifice at the time that was needed, they would get the right water to harvest their land and bring fruitfulness. And now all of a sudden it seems like their own God has turned his back against them. And he's brought water so they can be defeated. So is their God judging them? Or is there a different God that's judging them? Now they've got to question their own God. As they're fleeing and running and saying, what have we done? Who have we come against? What are we doing? Has the God of the Israelites taken over our God? And they're running. And as they're running, they're dying. And they're watching their brothers die by their side. And the one that can make us the furthest knows that no matter how far he goes, he's still going to die. And he's beginning to question, what have I done? Sisera goes into a tent and thinks, I've escaped. Then he opens his mouth and he says, we've been defeated. That's all that JL needed to say. Man, I'm going to have faith that what you just said means God's in control. I'm going to take a tent peg. I'm going to drive it through your temple. <laughs> That's a little elaborate, you think, right? I mean, God didn't say to Barak that's going to happen. He just said a woman's going to win the day. And for sure she did. So when we're faithful, it's easy to follow. That's the biggest thing to remember. When we're faithful, it's easy to follow. And luckily for us, God knows our heart. God, know, God knew that what he wanted Ashley and I to do. And he knew that we were like super stubborn and that we were a little afraid. Okay, I mean, I mean, rightfully so, maybe, right? I mean, we were going to have a baby. You know, the amount of money that we thought we would need is, is kind of important. The cushion of where we were living, that's kind of important. Okay, the people that loved us that were up in, I mean, we, it's not like we weren't loved. People loved us up there, like, a lot. Like, you don't understand. Like, you've ever, you've ever lived among family and had to just leave all of them? That's what it was up there. Now, we knew we were coming to family. We knew we were coming to immediate family. We knew we were coming to y'all. 
But it's hard to leave people that love you a lot, that are literally just like crying, that whenever I say, hey, just, by, just so you guys know, July 1st, we're leaving, and they said, no, you're not. <laughs> you, you love it here. We love you. You're, gonna, you're not going to do that. And then as it gets closer and they see us selling things and they, they see us not sign the rental agreement, right? And then, then I put in my two weeks at, at the Baptist College of Florida and, and it's like, then all of a sudden it just hits everyone and we're all like, man, what are we doing? Then I jump in the truck, right? And I'm like, oh yeah, let's go. And I'm like, let's go, let's go. And then all of a sudden, then we get there and we unload everything. And I'm just like looking at everything in the house like, oh. And then, no offense to Natalie, but the upstairs room was just this green color. <laughs> and, and for her, she loved the avocado-ish, whatever it was, green. Your idea was a lighter green, I know. But there was this avocado green, and it's like, okay, so we're going to paint everything. And we ask our landlord. He says, sure, so that's awesome. But then we're just painting, and we're like, okay, God, yeah. And then it's like, what are we going to do for a job? And so I'm like applying and thinking and wondering. And then God hooks it up to where... Kevin and I are like at a small group at the same time, um, and, and, and we never have gone back to that small group, and, uh, but, but we just so happened to go on the same night, and he needed a graphic designer, and that's what I've been doing for a really long time, and because I didn't want to work construction anymore, and, and uh, didn't want to ever have to do anything construction related anymore, and didn't want to have to ever sweat again, and <laughs> didn't want to ever have to get that dirty and have my nose filled with the soot of dirt, and Oh, wait, and then we helped remodel your house. And, uh, <laughs> uh, but anyway, so, so God just hooked up all sorts of stuff, and, and he taught me how to just work hard, and, and that's, that's part of who I am. He taught me how to just be a servant throughout my whole life, and that's all I ever want to do is just be a servant. And every single person has a different spiritual gift. But, you know, it's really hard for a servant to leave someplace that he's serving and, and it's going really well at. You know, even if I'm never getting recognized, whenever I'm serving somewhere and, and, and I'm seeing lives change because of that service, that's hard for a servant to leave that. Yeah. And then to come here and, and be able to serve is just like such a blessing, you know. And then there's other people that are, they have the, the ability to talk or the ability to lead. And whenever you're leading and God calls you to leave that leadership, it's like, man, I don't want to leave that leadership because I, I love it, you know. And, but then you have to follow him. And sometimes you got to be like Gideon and be like, here's a fleece, God, or you got to be like Barack, and you got to say, okay, fine, let a woman lead, God. I don't, I, don't, I don't know what else to do. Just let me blame her if it fails, right? Like, just give me a reason. Or, or maybe you got to be like jail and say, hey, okay, we're going we're gonna to let the enemy do what he wants. We're going to help the enemy out. But, God, if you bring that enemy back to feed it, I'll help you out as much as you want. And we find ourselves there whenever our spiritual gift is being used and God tells us to go do something else. But the best thing you can do when God tells you to go somewhere else, the best thing you can do is be faithful. Because when you're faithful, immediately you're going to want to start using your spiritual gift. If you're here and you have a spiritual gift, whether it be service, whether it be leadership, whether it be teaching, whether it be just loving, whether it be mercy, whether it be the ability to pray for people, and you're wondering, God, I, I do, I'm here. Why aren't you doing anything? Why do I feel defeated? If you have a spiritual gift and you're not using it, it's mean, you're not being faithful. And if you are just simply faithful and start using your gift, you will find it so easy to follow. It's going to be hard. I mean, I'm not going to say like it's been cupcakes and rainbows. I mean, a lot of times those cupcakes, you know, I haven't had the sugar to put in them. So it's just one of those, it's not always like that. But there's other days where all of a sudden God just says, here's why right there. That's it. Let's keep going. And he gives me what I need to keep going. 
you're faithful, it's easy to follow. You guys uh, pray with me real quick. Father, thank you so much for who you are, for how much you love us. God, even whenever we're stubborn and we don't want to necessarily follow you, God, just like Barak, just like uh, Jael, just like, just like the nation of Israel, God, you love us so much that you still give us little hints, little glimpses of glory, and God, forgive us whenever we turn back to do what we want to do instead of doing what you want to do. Father, I ask that this morning, above everything else, if there's someone here that hasn't trusted in you with their life, if they haven't truly repented of sin to follow you, God, that they just have some faith. That they just lay down what they, what they know about themselves, that they accept what, what they know about you. God, even if all they know about you is what they heard this morning, that God, you will deliver every single time if we will just turn to you. If we are just faithful, you will deliver. God, even if that's all they get, God, help them to be faithful in that and help them to turn to you so that they can experience the joy of your salvation through Christ. Father, I thank you so much for who you are. I thank you for what little faith I'm able to use from time to time so that I can serve you. And God, I just ask that, God, on my heart right now, God, the, the people that are in Texas that look around and are like, what is going on? That don't know what to do, that feel like everything's been stripped away. Father, just give them some faith. Because you've brought men and women literally from all around the country against every single odd, breaking every single rule that's been seemingly set up by our society. God, you've, you've broken down those barriers and you've brought people in that are, that are literally staying up just as, as much. They're getting just as dirty. They're staying up just as late just so they can deliver people from the floodwaters. And Father, I thank you so much that there are faithful men and women doing that. Father, help us to know where we can be faithful today and this week to be able to follow you. Because when we're faithful, it's easy to follow. In Jesus' name I pray. Amen.